0: thunder buddies and travelers down thunder road it's us days of thunder the wcw thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for but we did anyway coming to you as part of the voices of wrestling podcast network and powered by a large man appears.com i'm your party host your uh guest gm on thunder road dave ryan and i'm joined this week not by lee malone we are still as i said in our guest host era i thought long and hard about who my ideal guests for an episode of Days of Thunder, and right at the top of my list was our guest for this week, longtime friend of the show, first time caller, first-time appearance. Uh, by uh, the the Queen of the Undercard herself is Aaron Quinn. Aaron, how are you? Uh Dave,
1: well Thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here on the show. Um, I have appreciated Days of Thunder for so long because you do the work that no one else is willing to do. You put in the hard hours, you pave Thunder Road, you're walking down it all alone right now. And I just had to come up from the ditches off the shoulder and accompany you a little bit of your way down a pretty tumultuous week in WCW. Every week's tumultuous, but I'm happy to be on this leg of the journey
0: with you. Yeah, I I feel like it's one of those things. Is like when you look back and there was only one set of footsteps. That's when I carried you down Thunder Road. <laughs> that's where we're at at the moment. We're in that period. It's kind of great that we're having different voices come on the show, different guests, different perspectives. Because we're in this period that we've talked about. Myself and Lee have gone on about that the four horsemen of the WCW apocalypse have started, but we haven't gotten into the fun bad era yet. It's the Oh god this is so tedious. There's some 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 fun bad stuff. Sting is getting mauled by dogs. That's pretty cool. Uh but a lot of it is kind of you're seeing bad decisions being made that are just, you know, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed.
1: This, this is a murky era. Um thinking about my own WCW fandom. I know in 1999 I wasn't watching a lot of WWF even though I was I was in tune with like reading results. And I feel like I watched a lot of this, but mostly on Nitro. Yeah. And th- this era is like, w- n- there's like in, in a month, all of this is different. By the time you get to Road yeah. Wild, all these alignments are different, yeah. and yeah. you would have no idea what the plan is for Starcade just watching this show. Yeah. And I'm always kind of like, this company used to be so focused, and now I have no idea what's going on. Um, mm. I still think this is fun. Bad. I think with yeah. WCW, there's no bad bad. There's only fun bad.
0: There, there is definitely stuff I'm picking out of it that I'm really enjoying, and there's stuff on this show that, like, whether intentionally or not, I am getting great entertainment out of it. I do want to go b- circle back to your WCW fandom in a second, but I do want to uh, agree that point you've made there—that like this is this period is so weird because of like how quickly things are changing and how like we've got this kind of weird Nash booking era, and we know we're heading towards Russo in just like about three months of real time. Uh, six months of podcasting time. Ugh. Um, but everything is so unmoored from the order I thought everything happened in in my head. There's been loads of times recently on a on either I'm saying it on the podcast or I'm thinking it when I'm writing notes, or I'm like, I don't remember this happening for a long time. Like something we're we're we've been hitting on lately is the increased references to the phrase filthy animals. And that seems to be a case of trying to make Fetch happen where it seems like the, the three guys are going into business for themselves, going, please put us in the stable, please put us in the stable because they just keep bringing it up and, you know, they're going to make it happen. Um, But all this stuff is happening earlier than I remember in my head because, you know, I've mentioned it on the show before. I'm slightly different from you in as much as I was watching all WWF at the time, but I was also watching five hours of WCW a week because they used to do, I can't remember what night it was, of the week, but they basically show Nitro then Thunder back to back sometimes on on TNT, our version of TNT. So like Cartoon Network would end at nine o'clock at sundown and then it just become a highlights package of TNT and sometimes it would be Nitro and then Thunder. And I don't know how long I was missing Thunder for because I'd watch to the near the end of Nitro and then just turn it off because it was bedtime. I had school in the morning. And then one night I just happened to have it on. I was like, oh my God, there's another show. Like, I had heard them mention Thunder, but hadn't seen anything of it. And that's right around now is when when that's happening for me. But for you, where did your, I suppose, wrestling fandom start in general? And then specifically WCW? Um,
1: So the way it plays out in my head, and I'm not sure exactly if this is exactly like what happened. But I remember flipping through the channels one day. And I saw Brutus Beefcake clothesline someone. And I was like, what did he do to that man? He knocked that man over with his arm. And I was like, this was either like early 90 or late 89. So I yep. was seven ish. Mm-hmm. And so I was just fascinated. What fighting style? Plus he's a barber. And that hook <laughs> right there. Yeah. I don't know how. I don't know why. And it just like spiraled out of control. And I found WCW Pretty soon afterwards, because you just, especially in that area, you just flip the TV and WCW um, back then, like here in the States, had at least four shows on the weekend. Yeah. Um, and so I came into WCW around Clash 10. So that was around February of 1990. And I remember that was like the first time I saw like The Horseman and Sting was when the horseman turned on him right then and there. That was like my first exposure to wow. WCW. And I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." And I could kind of tell it's like was more serious. Yeah. And the wrestling was better. And I could tell the wrestling was better. And this is so dumb, but yeah. because when I first watched WCW, the first move that stood out to me was someone doing a power slam. And mm-hmm. I had never seen a power slam on superstars or challenge or whatever else was on the Fed yeah. side. And I was like, oh, this wrestling is, like, much tougher because they did a much more powerful slam. And (laughs) then on out, WCW was, like, my jam. And I dressed up as Sting when I was, like, in first grade when I was, like, 10 years old. And my first pay-per-view was Great American Bash 97 in the Quad Cities. And, yeah, yeah, WCW's just always been in my blood. I'll bleed uh, purple and yellow until the day I die, you can bury me with my slam jam tapes. Just all out hardcore hack, um, you know, till the end, right or die.
0: I was, I was talking to somebody recently about the sting factor, like just how cool that guy was for like multiple different eras and multiple different kids growing up. So like you're telling the story of dressing up as Sting in first grade. And I remember like when I tuned in in the late 90s then to WCW, like, um i had been a, a wwf watcher since 96 um and it was probably 98 99 when i started watching nitro and then later in 99 thunder but um like a crow sting was the coolest thing i'd ever seen <laughs> like genuinely it's like it's like in my head at the time because i didn't have any i didn't know what the crow was as a as a movie but like i was just basically like fucking batman's wrestling what the fuck like is what it looked like to seven eight year old me and it's funny like i i share uh, an experience with you like when you're able to you can't put a word on it but you know the wrestling is better in one company and like i remember that as like again a nine-year-old when russo takes the book in wcw and going this is suddenly a lot worse like real quick uh, compared to what I remember. I was real into some of these people and now they're all doofuses. What's happened? And like, I don't even, I don't know for sure at what point, like I was smartened up, you know, it, it was probably something about this probably brought it screeching into like um Captain Obvious territory. But yeah, like even though I didn't know the lingo, I didn't really know how a wrestling TV show was put together. I could still smell that something was rotten in the state of Denmark uh, around the time the Russo era starts. Uh, So that is like a fascinating comparison. Um... Oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead.
1: Oh, I I am very interested to see like where like the script flips to where it's like painfully, obviously Russo. And if you're not smartened up when Russo takes over, like, He will make sure you are yeah you have no choice at that point but i just wanted to say one thing about sting Mm because i get to talk about sting again yeah the reason sting was so cool was back over on the wws side you had hulk hogan obviously hogan's super popular everyone loved him i never really liked him because he kind of wrestled like a jerk yeah but he was still like this mammoth superhero but sting was kind of a mammoth superhero with the colors and the paint and the jackets And in that way, he was kind of also like Warrior, but you couldn't understand what Warrior was saying. And my child brain did not connect with that. But so Sting was like the best version of both those two in Mm -hmm. one wrestler. And he could wrestle. So he was a colorful superhero. And he was the good guy. And he always did what was right. And he was never a hypocrite. Like, I'm one of those kids who became like a smart really early on. Like, the minute Hogan like pulled it out of the rumble and was being a baby, yeah that's yeah. when that's when I was like, I'm done with you. Mm. and I was like ten, yeah. like totally cringe, yeah, and I've been that way for the the last thirty years
0: yeah i I had that with like there was a period of time in ninety nine two thousand where I, with a hatred of a thousand burning sons, hated triple h. Not realizing at the time, it was just because like he was actually like an incredible heel in that like concentrated period of time between like summer '99 and when he tore the quad. Where like he's 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 got me. He's worked me into a shoot here. <laughs> like and I'm not realizing I was like a dumb kid booing away. But uh, yeah, the the sting thing is interesting because like there's still people who I think um you know again I got I got into it with people on Twitter lately who are underrate his body of work tremendously um. The, the whole Sting versus Undertaker thing was up on, on Twitter lately. And then I suppose with All In coming to, to Wembley, um, he's been in the, you know, people have been talking about him again. And there's a whole, one of the rumored matches that came out this week, and this is why the discussion I was having in the DMs with somebody came up was that it could be Sting versus MJF and it's Sting's retirement match versus the title. And people going like, do you think that will, like, will that, draw a crowd it's like oh yeah that will draw a crowd like sting well, the, crowd's already been drawn. the crowd's yeah. already been drawn as we yeah.
1: record here today so it doesn't matter yeah and that it, that's I've it i've been wanting that there's only one god i don't want to make this an AEW podcast yeah. but there's only like one man in that company that i would trust to like take care of sting for a whole match and it would still be like a good match and yeah. it's mjf yeah that's so smart
0: He's the he's the perfect, and, like, there is that... I, I saw um a few of my mates tweeting about it this week. It's like, it's great, because by putting it title versus career or Sting's retirement match, you're letting people know it's important. It's the last time you'll ever see Sting. But then there, there's, like, 5% of your brain where you're just like... Even though you know what the result will be, you're still like, but what if... What if they just, for one glorious week between Wembley and All Out, they just put the fucking belt on him? And, like, because... Old Mid-South Tony, you know, like that's, that's something that I wouldn't be able to resist if I had the book is like, I, could I put, could I put sting on my role of champions in my company? Is like, oh, oh, I mean, either but, way if you
1: do that in front of what is it like 60,000 people at this point? Yeah. It's, it's a monster. The crowd reaction would be insane no matter what happens. And yeah. now that you've put that thought in my head, I don't want them to do anything else. I know
0: it's going to be a long agonizing summer until they announce something completely different. <laughs> Um, but I'll tell you what, let's get into some thunder, shall we? That's what we're here for. Okay, so this is episode 68 of Thunder from Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, 24th of June 1999. Slightly up in the ratings this week, it's a 3.3. Um, no video package or recap to start the show directly. Uh, we go into the show, it's the Cajun Dome. Uh, we are two weeks away from Bash at the Beach 1999. Uh, Larry. Uh, this is something I can't believe I hadn't uh I, I hadn't thought of before now is that um Roman Reigns is watching his, his Larry tapes in the 90s as Larry goes to get acknowledged by the fans. So Roman is stealing it. <laughs> Incredible. Aaron showing me the notes. We are of parallel minds here on this. <laughs> um yeah, so they're they're hitting the. This is the thing. Like, even in the this period of WCW, one thing I, I'll never fault them for is they hit the Bash at the Beach promos really hard. Even if the card isn't doing doing anything for me right now, like they they want to let you know this is going to be huge, and it's in two weeks. It's in two weeks. Did you hear? It's in two weeks.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Ah, uh, uh, oh yeah. Sorry. Uh, n- n- no. Yeah. Just.
1: Um, Larry is clearly superior to Roman he doesn't have to beg for it and he's way past his prime yeah. um, I am I can't wait until Roman is you know in his 50s sitting at the desk being like oh Michael, the game of human chess very important and doing this thing it's gonna yeah. be
0: great Yeah, talking about his golf game at every opportunity it'll be it'll, it'll
1: a backyard when he was young yeah. and and saw
0: him took him under his wing just it's oh i i actually now that i think about it it's like larry is is harder working in some ways than roman is now because larry makes more tv dates he's sitting (laughs) at the desk but he's there (laughs) like he's physically there mentally you can you make that argument all day long but physically larry's at the bill and every week reliable for the blue brand I this is this is the blue brand right yeah yeah damn right it is the blue the blue and slightly gray brand it's going to be very great very soon yeah um so team savage versus uh, nash and sting is the pay-per-view main event uh the the accidental tradition of multi-man matches this year uh bash at the beach main event what's that what's that tag team match doing for you in terms of uh, excitement
1: um this is
0: like so this tag team matches for the world heavyweight title, and yes. I
1: and I remember hating it in the moment, and yeah. I I just oh my god like do a four way that's right there that's right. it's right there I yeah. hate it so much I hate yeah. I oh, my my only note is I hated that Bash of the Beach main event yeah. because it's so nonsensical yeah. and uh it's and Sting like fighting with Nash and uh, yeah it's dumb.
0: There's there's some sort of arc that is now completed by the you know 1998 was the year of singles match for the tag team titles and now we've got tag teams tag team title or tag team matches for the world title can't even say it that's how confusing it is and yeah it really does um that's something that that was in my notes uh, that I'm kind of reflecting on now is that they've really forced this Nash and sting issue like it. They're they're forcing the Homer thing in a way that is completely obnoxious anyway. But this Sting angle to it where like Nash is doing the thing where, oh, no matter what, I don't trust you. But like Sting has not given this man any reason not to trust him. It's people keep betraying Sting, not the other way around. You know, um, it's not like, you know, I remember um, there was a great during the. This is a very specific pull the Shawn michaels and john cena feud from 2007 when they were like an uneasy tag team and they won the titles at one point and they were doing a thing where i can't remember who i think it was it was edge and orton kept saying he's gonna turn on you he's gonna turn you at one point they came out on raw and did like a sizzle reel of Shawn michaels being in a tag team with somebody and then kicking them in the face and that was great but like in this situation you've got Nash and and Sting, Sting, who was like always a man who stood by his principles, and uh, you know the one time maybe he wavered from WCW was to join up with Nash and the Wolfpack. It's like if anything, Sting's your boy. Like he's one of the very few people you probably can trust in this company right now. Um, I, I do think it's incredibly forced, and like you said, the four way the hell with it, do Nash versus Sid, big boy battle, you know. Anything—it I mean, feels it, it, it like a thing I keep saying this year. Anything but what they did. Yeah, no. Any—I mean—is
1: Nash versus Sid the lesser of two. I don't know. Do I guess Sting? Do Sting and Nash? Um, yeah. it, it, you know the, it, the the other side. It flusters me so much mm. that main event. And then I look through this Bash at the Beach card, and one overall critique I had of this whole show is there is so much going on this show that does not matter to the pay-per-view. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's,
1: it's completely wild. And I I was looking, I was like, there has to be more matches on this show than I remember. And I looked at the card just now and I'm like, no, there are. Yeah. You, you we all are in for a treat. It's yeah. an all timer.
0: So I, something I've noticed doing the, the pay-per-view prediction game with Lee on the go home show every month is that he's getting a lower and lower batting average on those things because there are just matches they're clearly pulling out of their asses in between the end of the last TV and the start of the pay-per-view uh, or stuff that something that we've, we've seen a lot on the show is stuff that for reasons that I will never understand are matches that are only promoted on Nitro and are not mentioned on Thunder and sometimes one or both participants in the feud never appear on Thunder in the pay-per-view cycle. You're like, oh, they're around. Holy hell. I, um, so, before I forget,
1: I do want to make a suggestion for the prediction game when you get around to it. Yes. So, much in the tradition of uh, the five-star match game, I think you should, uh, you should ask Lee if he can name all the participants in the Junkyard Invitational.
0: But I'll get him to to run off the show as soon as he's back
1: <laughs> like that, but
0: I'm open I, to it,
1: yeah, no, I think it's um I think it's a good idea because there <laughs> are some things there that will blow his mind and your mind, so yeah.
0: I, I, I there it. there are sometimes where I forget to put up the pay-per view card before I do the game, and I'm having to stifle a holy shit when I look at these cards. <laughs> to not give away the farm uh, when I'm talking to him but yeah th- that that sounds like it's going to be fun because I still haven't looked at this card yet myself uh, ahead of time well, that thesis
1: statement like it's very evident in like the very first match that idea that like hmm. there are these storylines that are developing that I'm at least kind of interested in but they yeah. are not going to pay-per-view
0: So disappointing. So there's a there's a brief Master P Nitro recap. We don't need to get into that too much because we we had nights of Nitro with Master P and it was, you know, it was a it was a time. It was a happening. Uh, But this did lead into one of my favorite comedy doofus segments I've seen in a while, which is uh, Dave Penzer introducing the West Texas Rednecks plus a pair of Wyndham's for a live performance and this was like if i had a fashion watch segment this would be like this is an all-timer look this is maybe my favorite wcw look since the uh the bret hart cowboy boots episode or the uh the hulk hogan jinkos period of time i
1: i am not a fashionista nor am i to the su- i'm sure you'll be surprised i am not a country western and hunting aficionado so when the Wyndhams come out, and I guess Bobby Duncan, too, come out in these coveralls that are camouflaged, but with the orange hunting vests, yeah. for a moment, i like, why are they dressed up like crossing guards? Yeah. I don't understand. Are they construction workers now? <laughs> and so they, they lip sync. I mean, they sing the song. they completely yeah. lie. Very impressive. Definitely. 100%. But did you notice that, like, no one seems to know what this song is called? Because yeah. either called I Hate Rap. Yeah. But Kurt Henning very much wants to just call it
0: Rap is Crap. Yeah. They, um, they, they're definitely, they're agreed on the message of the song. Right. But I, I think it feels like one of those things where they had a meeting about the song and everybody took a different thing away from the meeting. And it, <laughs> one of those things that they disagreed on without realizing it was the actual name of the song.
1: If, if I was Eric Bischoff, which I am not, hmm. uh, this is where I would say that WCW standards and practices came down on the use of the word crap, but yeah. you can't troll Kurt Haining, and he just said it on live TV. You know, I heard it when I got to CNN Center on Monday.
0: These... Uh, went out of business. These duck dynasty ass motherfuckers coming out here for this. I was just... I, I am... I will never understand. Maybe if there are some hunting experts that listen to the show, who knows, could tweet me as to why you would wear head to toe camo, which is noted for blending you into a background and then a high visibility vest jacket to make you stand out from said background. Is it to give the appearance of levitating vests doing karaoke? Because if so, massive success, massive success. Um, they were, I wrote my notes here. They firstly they plug after antagonizing all the fans, they plug that the fans should show up in the morning because we're recording the official music video. Very excited about this. Um they also then, as I've written here, dance around like fucking dorks and uh lip sync to fuck. This is brilliant. Uh and I this is something I love. It's like Kurt Hennig, right? And this is to anybody that will criticize that man's body of work. Look, his body has betrayed him at this point. He is not the level he once was. In terms of him getting the business, he is such an accomplished professional wrestler that he got country music booed in the South during this. They are in the Cajun Dome and people are going mental <laughs> booing this country Western song. They hate us. And oh. then... Oh, yeah, sorry.
1: Oh no no finish finish cuz my thoughts completely separate.
0: Oh it it finishes with the incredible line as Kurt Hennig is departing the stage where he turns back to the fans and goes and I didn't lip sync either.
1: I love that. That was so brilliant. It was so good. Um so Hennig said that they're recording this um music video in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Home of country music and it made me think we are just a few months away from J-E- Double T coming onto the screen. And obviously the folklore behind Rap Is Crap is that it got played on country music stations. I've never confirmed that independently myself. Yeah. How much better is Kurt Henning doing 1994 Jeff Jarrett's gimmick than Jeff
0: Jarrett did? Yeah. Is that like, is Jeff Jarrett sitting at home watching this going, I'll fucking show him. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold Vince up for money so yeah. that I can get the hell out of here. Um, I, I'd show them how it's done. I'm going to bring my balsa wood guitars and put it, put it learning on these fools.
1: As you all will see, as you guys are going to see, Jeff Jarrett comes in and he does have a feud with Kurt Henning at the behest mm. of the powers that be. Long term
0: Let's give Vinny Rue a little credit here. Yes, let's, you, you you do not have to hand it to him, as Drill would say. Um, we got our first match of the show, uh, which was, as you've alluded to, Aaron, uh, an intriguing one. And that's Eddie Guerrero versus Psychosis. These two men are in the ring. I'm interested. Um, one thing that they were battling against in this match is that Eddie Guerrero was a conquering hero to the Cajun Dome
1: uh eddie is over it was absolutely ridiculous this is one of the stories in this period of time that i really liked because the announcers kind of put over the idea that blair kind of talked the lwo out of existing when he took over wcw and so they all just took off their shirts and they stopped being a unit that's how that's that's how it was killed off Mm -hmm. i think they might have got beat up by the nwo too and now eddie is back and he is beating the shit out of his former group members
0: that yeah. dropped the cause. And I love that. Yeah. We're, we're just like, we're four years away from Kill Bill, but I feel like if he had his Kill List 5 and he's crossing off members of the LWO, I was like, I'm super into that. It does remain a bit maddening to me. I mentioned this on the show with Garrett two weeks ago, that you have the, you know, let's skip around the circumstances of said car accident. But you have this incredible potential for a huge babyface narrative and the crowds clearly want to go with it. And I don't know how much of it is a case of no, we'd already decided what we're doing with Eddie and none of these fan reactions are going to change our mind on that. Or whether it's a case of they're just completely tone deaf and they just had no idea what to do with Eddie. But it's like, ah, he's back. We'll just put him on fucking TV doing whatever. Um, because I think like you definitely could have done this thing where the LWO former LWO guys are still heels, and you could have this vengeance storyline where he's back and he's avenging the people who betrayed him and never looked after him while he was laid up in hospital as a baby face, and it would work perfectly.
1: Yeah, and half of them are, I think, most of them are still heels. One thing I noticed through this and possibly something else to be recorded is this company loves heel versus heel matches. It's almost like they don't care what they book. That can't be the case.
0: Yeah. I I don't, I don't picture Kevin Nash having a master list of who is a baby face at a heel. He just sees two names or he has a dartboard or some shit like, or a tombola, or he's just pulling names out. Uh, I don't, he's not, he's not a stickler for continuity like Arlene Malone.
1: It it would take him another eight years or so to really enjoy hanging around with cruiserweight wrestlers. That's understandable. Um, and clearly you can tell, because Psychosis is not the second person I would have Eddie fight in the gauntlet against the former LWL. Psychosis is obviously very near the top of the LWL power rankings.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. This is undeniable. Um, This, this match, uh, it kind of starts off like... <sighs> You know, Eddie's back. He's got a lot of piss and vinegar about him. So, like, it starts pretty intense Like, outside early doors. Eddie, to his credit, is trying his hardest to turn this crowd on him. And it's just not working. And I think, like, part of it, I like, I love psychosis. And this isn't me, like, hugely criticizing him or anything like that. But in terms of how he is viewed by WCW fans, which is WCW's fault... He's not such a baby face in peril that everybody has such emotional investment in that Eddie beating the piss out of him is going to be something that turns the crowd. They just cheered him more. It's like, yes, beat up that man. Please, Eddie, please do it for us. Um, He's like, he's even using the steel steps. He's taunting the crowd, but they're like, yeah, we love it. Um, Through a break and we get continued heat for our unintentional baby face. Uh, He throws psychosis out again. Uh, his whip into the rails gets reversed. Psychosis hits him with a drop kick, but then he's limping bad. Uh, we go back in, but Psychosis does so quite gingerly, which allows Eddie a chance to regain control. Uh, Eddie goes for a diving nothing, lands in an atomic drop, uh, drops him on the apron. Uh, a spin kick knocks Eddie to the floor. Does a split legged moonsault to the outside. I don't know if you could pay me enough money to do a split legged moonsault to the outside. Sorry like a salt, or even go outside yeah i could in my youth when we used to do um during the period there was like i don't know if it was a thing in the states or anywhere outside of ireland but it was a thing where if a child had a birthday party if a child had a holy communion it was a thing where you would rent a bouncy castle yeah. it was just it was the done thing it was just in the 90s it's like that's what you do it's just like it's as quintessential as the birthday cake um, no, that's a big thing down here, especially in, like,
1: currently, like, here in the south, too, yeah. especially in Texas, yeah. there are so many places that sell bouncy castles with, like, knockoff minions or knockoff, yeah. what's another children's kid, Dora, the Dora, Explorer, yeah. Is, but it's like, you know, Snora the Memora,
0: or whatever. It's Legally a... distinguished from, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no copyright here, no copyright here. Yeah, so we would have that and then what would happen is me and my mates would use either stepladders from the house or nearby sheds to perform aerial manoeuvres into the bounty castle with safety. So I can say with confidence that I could at one stage in my life do a on and a moonsault. And uh, I once attempted a shooting star and it went poorly. Oh, it was all it was all shoulder I landed on, like thankfully on a bouncy castle and thankfully just shoulder. But it was like it gave me enough of a, a fright and kind of knocked me a little loopy that I was like, ah, I'm just probably not going to do that again. I don't know what gave me the I suppose it's the confidence of youth that is like, I'll probably survive this. When you when you, when you want a
1: shooting star, you? Imagine yourself as '96 Kidman, but you end up as 2006 Kidman. Yeah, and yeah. that just happens. I will uh, tell a quick rib related mm-hmm. to high flying. Um, if anyone who is a, a PW Torch subscriber, Alan and I discussed my backyard wrestling career for 20 minutes because I made him. Yes. <laughs> and um, I I did a mask gimmick half okay. the time just, and one day someone else was going to do the mask gimmick for me. And he knew that I can't do any high flying because I am not athletic. So he put on my mask to play my character and proceeded to do swantons and moonsaults the whole match while everyone on commentary said, can't wait for him to do that in the next match he has. And (laughs) I'm sitting here like, I hate you guys.
0: (laughs) I um, I don't know, like... In my kind of like childhood, yeah, bouncy castle wrestling exclusively. I don't know if I ever settled on a a solid gimmick. I know when I was like doing creator wrestler stuff on on old video games, it was always um the one character I kept repeatedly creating was a guy named Hardcore with a K, because one, it was the nineties, and two, it it was surprisingly one of the less cringy pre generated names in WWF Attitude on the PlayStation. Um, So that's kind of what I rolled with. And then I would just like make iterations for several years of this character who wore like um, a black T-shirt with the sleeves cut off and jorts. So look, I'm not saying Cena ripped me off, but I'm not saying he didn't. I know who
1: Cena ripped off and I'm going to talk to you about that much later
0: today. And my what were my my finishers were the u- unusual combination in these games of um not well the first one wasn't in WWF attitude but by no mercy my finishes were the last ride and the falcon arrow.
1: Ooh, ooh,
0: ooh, ooh, always been a big fan of the falcon arrow. Nobody kicks out of it. That's the thing. So, um, um,
1: my finishers, um, you, you, you could tell who I was a fan of because that's whose finisher I used. So I used a Texas clover leaf, But then a few years later, I started using a key crusher. So um, I'll slip you some links later.
0: I, I have actually, I told Lee this, I have a great Dean Malenko story that I haven't oh. told on the podcast yet. It's not oh, a personal so. interaction with Dean Malenko, but the names will be removed uh, to protect the innocent in this. So I know of somebody who works for um a large bookmakers. We will, we will go no further than that. This bookmakers, as part of like a standing contract they had with a betting publication, as part of their kind of like promotion of the business, they would submit racing tips every week, you know. And there was like a deadline, you know, Friday five o'clock, we'll say, for example, you submit your article that has, oh, here are the hot bets for the weekend. And um, it was like, they was done on a rotational basis. Everyone in the office had to do it one week so that nobody got stuck doing it all the time, fair is fair. One guy who was kind of new had to do it one week and he did it in a rush in the last couple of hours. He was leaving work early. So he went out of work. The publication got back to him and they said, oh, sorry, because he's one of the new people, we don't have his photo on file to put beside the article. Um, could he take a photo and send it in to us? And they said, absolutely no problem. And they sent back a photo of Dean Malenko, which then got published in a national newspaper with this guy's name and a picture of a very stern looking Dean Malenko beside us. And it became a subject where like the people involved in this rib got called into a very senior manager's office going, right, who sent the Dean Malenko picture? Because obviously no one over at this newspaper knew who Dean Malenko was. But then when it was published, it wasn't so much like they appreciated the rib, but they were like, you used a copyrighted image that now we have to pay for. (laughs) We're not happy about it. Um, It became a whole thing. So I was I was tickled to like the person I know. I've known them for years and they just never told me that story until like a week ago. And I wept. Love Dino Machino. Um, that has gotten us quite dramatically off the point in this match, but however, hey, so yeah. atomic drop, uh, we have split of moonsault to the outside, top rope spin kick, then a Frankensteiner for two, goes for a third time. Eddie sort of dodges the crossbody. He does the thing where it looks like he's going to sidestep it, but he's like, he half sidesteps and flapjacks psychosis. Um, then Eddie drags him by the horns, which I thought was a great bit, uh, runs up. Does a light but not fully committed version of the Eddie Shimmy on the the top rope, and then frog splash for the win. What would you think of this match?
1: I thought this was a lot of fun.
0: Um, I
1: think all of Eddie's offense looked really good. Psychosis always looks really good. Um, I think there was a lot of leg work in this that I did appreciate. Yeah. In this match, I I'm bad at taking notes on like actual moves because I write yeah. slow. Um. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really good. I love when Eddie finishes with the frog splash to the back, especially if it's just in the, I'm not going to take the time to roll him over because this move will still hurt if I hit it on the back and I'll roll it over when he's dead. And so I really appreciated that. All the legwork, I kept waiting for the lasso from El Paso, but it's like five years from that. Yeah, But you can see how, and you can kind of say that, but boring like how more well-rounded eddie is he's really not like high-flying luchador style he's just very he's he's a little like dean but with charisma and a couple of flips yeah and so this was really good i just wish that this was like on the pay-per-view this would have been one of the things to open that pay-per-view instead of what you actually get which i'm very excited about
0: And they probably would have gotten, like, an additional five to seven minutes on pay-per-view. And, like, I feel like it's one of those where it's not that they didn't put in a shift, but it was just that they knew the limitations of opening match on Thunder. They knew where they were on the card. They knew how long they had. And they left a lot undone that they, they could easily do. And, yeah, Eddie is a guy who just, like, one of the reasons he's one of the absolute best ever is that when you watch him, even this, like, this is a second match back from months out injured. And you look at the guy and you're like, this man puts together a match like no one's business. Like, there is no wasted motion. And even on your point about the frog splash, something I I thought about before, but maybe hadn't verbalized, is that the frog splash to the back is great for the reasons you describe, But also, I love it because it's almost like he has this, not quite super finisher, but like a, a kind of like a slightly more painful looking version of the finisher that requires no extra effort on his part. He's hitting it exactly the same. But like you said, it's either deliberately or because he's not arsed, rolling them over. Um, and that is another example of, I am adding what to fans will look like an increased element of physicality and danger in my match, but I'm not actually doing anything different. It's an incredible like sleight of hand uh in the ring and it's it's just one of those little things little thing that he might have for the first time even done accidentally and it's just this thing now that just adds to the lore of how great this man is um just just I never have a bad time watching Eddie there's always something interesting to take from it in in a sport where like
1: basic moves are always dropping people on their back and of course Eddie has a lot of the different backbreakers just from the lucha style mm. um the frog splash to the back is a great way of adjusting his finisher to working over that body part in lieu of like an actual submission. You can still Mm. pay off that body work. It's just, it's too bad that this match wasn't a little more 50-50, but it also, with the leg work and everything, took away a lot of probably what psychosis was going to do because he was doing a much more selling of the leg than I thought he would. Mm. But it also meant you didn't get like full psychosis. But this was about putting Eddie over, which is great. The other thing that stuck with me is like, I expected Eddie to be more jacked. Now he is pretty jacked here. Yeah. But like I'm, when I think about like Jack Eddie, I think like I just beat Brock two thousand three yeah. Eddie busting at the gills, and he's not here. Yeah. But he he just looks like he's in shape. And I don't know what he does in WCW until the Filthy Animals, and that's still like
0: three or four months away. Yeah. So I'm really interested to see where he goes or what he does or doesn't do. It's an interesting one because we, me and Gareth, talked in the last episode about how how huge he looked. But I guess it's like not a, it's not an issue of definition. Like I said, he'd look more cut and look more vascular later on, like around the yeah around the Brock time. Um, but the thing that astonishes me even in this is the width. Like that, you look at that man's shoulders, like from from behind, like that man is just like his. The the square footage that he covers is increasing week on week, uh, and that is like, I mean, I was going to say it's a it's a mystery, but it's not really. Uh, but it is it is quite amazing, nonetheless.
1: Just you know, doing lats and then just
0: just vitamins and prayers, my friends, vitamins and prayers. Um, we've got Flair, Iron, and Gormless Idiot David Flair backstage uh, with Asia and Evan Courageous. They, this is quite a summit of of humanity here um so it's 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 back to the and this is one of those things where like one of the uh, a thing i don't care for in this period of wcw is that there are storylines that they kind of ebb in and out of that they they kind of like it feels like they've dropped or finished and then like a few weeks later it's like almost like somebody remembers oh fuck we're doing this with this guy and i was like okay let's do this so there was a while last month where we were doing the thing where david flair was having matches and Flair with Ric Flair was trying to fix them, and that kind of went away when the Piper stuff happened at the pay per view. We all forgot about it, and now it's just back, and it's it, it's also never been interesting because it's the same segment every time. Just like sometimes Asia's in the room, sometimes Aaron's in the room. <laughs> um. It, oh, yeah.
1: oh god. Oh, I think you you mean uh, RVVP.
0: Yes, of course, RVRP. Yes. How how could I forget? He's not here this week. I think he had uh, more sense. Uh yeah,
1: Outrageous Evan Courageous. Uh, don't don't ever forget his name is Outrageous. Yes. It's it's on his gear and you know he's Outrageous because uh, he has dra- braids, I guess. Yeah. Um I these storylines I always hate them so much, but I I like that Flair essentially is doing the what I'm sure many other wrestlers have been told for reals in saying, Evan, I'm paying you for the TV exposure. You get to be on TV. Just
0: take the dive. There's but... something as somebody who's been like adjacent to media over the years, there's something of a, like, this is too close to the bone for me to enjoy But Yeah. Yeah. It's the exposure. You know, you're getting, you're getting on TV. What's there to complain about Evan? God, just get with the program. I was like, never mind that, like, no, what he's actually arguing about is the holy mortifying shame of losing to this skinny gobshite. Um, but yeah, he wants to go seven and oh. I did appreciate the one line that did make me laugh was Rick saying, You know that Goldberg? <laughs> he's like, Yeah, well, like 160, we're gonna beat that. And I was like, I could not imagine how long it's going to take to do one hundred and fifty-four more of these segments where you're fixing matches with wrestlers.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, yeah.
0: I almost like it's one of those kind of anti-comedy things where if they like, it's almost like something Tim Heidecker would do. Is like, commit to the bit so hard, a bit that's so unfunny in its premise, that by like time 100 or 120, I would be like, I would be broken brain, roaring, laughing at all this. But sadly, they don't.
1: I it Sadly, it gave me the thought that like, Oh yeah. The best possible ending to this David Flair angle would be for Goldberg to come out and murder him before he even reaches 10. Yeah. And take the US title. Um that I mean, obviously that doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. If it's like as soon as he invokes Goldberg, that's Goldberg's return from filming Universal Soldier. He's like, take your name out of my mouth, and he just folds David Flair into a pretzel and kicks him into space. Brilliant segment. Would it be amazing? Um we get a Team Madness flashback, the stuff with Sting running in to save the baby faces, and then Luger coming in to save Sting from the madness. Luger, who then like just vanishes from proceedings <laughs> for the rest of it, like he's just never mentioned again. But he's here somewhere, I guess. Um, Kevin Nash with a unique combination of green shirt and sweat patches. It becomes a, um, it becomes a running bit on the show. So I think it's Flair mentions his promo later on. It's real fucking hot in this building tonight. Um and Kevin Nash is showing it soaked like he's 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 Dwayne Johnson in a Fast and Furious movie. He is drenched coming out here. Um, what have you or what have you made of like I suppose the Nash run, such as it is so far, but like the Nash as Booker Man period.
1: Um. Okay, so I I have a note here about that recap segment, and I don't you noticed. But I felt like they were putting the thunder lightning transition not between scenes, but between literal pieces of dialogue. Because yeah. Sting would be like, "Yeah, you know Nash, I have a problem with you." <laughs> well, Sting, I'm have a problem with you. That's my Kevin Nash. I don't know. It's yeah. really um, Kevin I Nash don't... has entered the chat. <laughs> I oh no, <laughs> uh, I click this. Um... I I don't know what to think about this. I know Nash would say he was definitely not booking at this time, and honestly, all those down periods he did not book. You know, yeah, you know, everyone—it was everyone else who wanted him to beat Goldberg. Obviously, yeah. you know he wanted to. You know that was yeah. So no, I, I I hate this. Um, I hate this so much. And for someone who like very much thinks he's cool and thinks about his image of being cool. I still remember the septic angle, mm. which, as being like, you don't look cool, bro. Yeah. Like this is not cool. Like doing anything with poop isn't cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so life lessons on Days of Thunder, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Pro tip there yeah. for all you kids: if you're gonna put that on your dating profile, take it off. No yeah. one wants to to know that. Okay, and uh, yeah, I just don't like it. Um, and I don't know why human. Savage refuting, but I have a, a thought because I wondered why Nash is going after him so hard. So yeah. let me lay this out for you. And let me know okay. what you think. Survivor Series 1993. Great starting, gambit. Okay. Randy Savage replaced Mr. Perfect on Razor Ramon's team mm-hmm. against a team that included Shawn Michaels and a young Kevin Nash going by the moniker of Diesel at that time. Kevin Nash was eliminated from that match by Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, it all makes sense. Nash is issuing challenges to matches and he's coming at him so hard. Ugh, I mean, attacking him so much is because he wants to avenge that pinfall loss, title be
0: damned. Okay, so uh, an Aaron Quinn exclusive, Kevin Nash, greatest booker in the history of professional wrestling. You've heard it here first. If there's one thing you take away from the podcast, it's that. (laughs) He's a it's one of those things where, like when you know, you were saying that uh, you know, he would dispute whether he was booking or not at this period, like I would certainly dispute whether he could ever said to be actually booking this company because it definitely seems to like freewheel onto the air very much. and at best, it's a like a randomizer dartboard approach to things. um, but it's not it remains a truism of the man's career that the only times that Kevin Nash doesn't look cool is when he's trying to look cool. It's like when he actually doesn't give a shit or like now when he's just like, you know, a uh, cool podcast uncle who's like slightly wine drunk all the time. Uh, everyone's like, yeah, you're kind of rad, but, like when the guy is trying to be super cool, like here where he's like, I'm just trying to look like I'm the the, the coolest world champion that ever lived in his big dorky sweaty shirt. Um, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't do anything for me. Um, I like it's one of the it's tough because I like Kevin Nash. And if you ask me, I would say, I think Kevin Nash is a cool person. But if anyone else was playing this character exactly like him at this time, I'd say this is the biggest fucking dweeb on this entire TV show. He sucks. Get him out of here. um So I'm trying to divorce one from the other. He has this weird kind of marble mouth promo about how like three years have passed since the arrival of the Outsiders. And even though he's the champ, he's still considered an outsider, which is the silliest statement that man has maybe ever made. And that's that takes some doing. Um, WCW does not want him to have this belt macho can't beat him for it and he knows Sting is, he knows for a fact he says that Sting is on their side and that he was driving the Hummer. It's like the whole company is currently centred around the fact that absolutely nobody knows and I would argue very few people actually care who was driving the Hummer and he's like no I know, like he's fucking dusted for Prince and go oh I found no prints but gloves um, he said he's not giving WCW the belt to put on and this should have been a gimmick name for Sting, little franchise boy um, if Savage wants it, he'll have to pry it from his dead hands. Uh, very poor promo. Um, Almost completely, again, it's going to be a tag team match and he spent more time talking about Sting than he did Sid in this, where I think, like, if you're going to do, if you're committed to doing this stupid fucking tag team match, surely a lot of what the baby faces should be doing is uh, establishing the level of threat that Sid brings to things about how, like, you know, uh, match like you know I was the I, I, I got out of, I I'd survived with my title because of a disqualification at the pay-per-view but you know now I'm worried these guys are coming for me and you've seen the damage that Sid can do that Sid has been doing you know I'm worried but I'm the champ and again pride from my cold dead hands etc uh, I, I thought a, a, a misguided promo to say the least
1: not his best um, you know I can understand Nash not wanting to involve himself with Sid The last time they had a program Sid, you know, broke his elbow pretty bad at whatever in your house that was. Mm -hmm. But if I could propose, I don't know if um, you and Lee have talked about it at all, but ways to make the Hummer angle better or
0: at least funnier. Mm. Okay. Okay, go for it. I, firstly, I would like to say, I, I believe I had the privilege of giving you the breaking news as to who was supposed to be behind the Hummer this week in the, the Discord.
1: You did. You did. And I walking out of a Walmart, I was walking across a parking lot to a GameStop, and I had my earbuds in, and I heard the name Carmen Electra, and I just went, what? <laughs> and that would have been amazing, because okay. Carmen Electra is tied to Dennis Rodman, who later yeah. would feud with Randy Savage. You yeah. can put it all together.
0: There, there's I, like, there's like this bit where you're like, there's like half second visceral reaction of that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, and then it's followed by a rush of, actually that would have rocked,
1: that would have been amazing. Yeah. So, so Nash suspects that Sting was driving the Hummer. Clearly, the idea, the idea should have been, Randy Savage hired NWO Sting to drive the Hummer
0: into Kevin Nash. Yes. Yes. And. Hold the same fast one on him. Perfect. I would also like to tag that up with that. There will be a follow-up angle where they try to frame him for another assault. And this time I would like to see Randy Savage dressed in the sting makeup doing it. I think that would be incredible.
1: I would love
0: that. <laughs> coat and all. He um, could he could do like the woo yeah instead of the oh yeah it'd be perfect it would be perfect I, I, it, like the yeah. the idea of someone with as distinct a voice as Randy Savage trying to do someone else's voice would be a oh, high comedy high comedy
1: Ash impersonated
0: Sting once and fooled
1: everyone yeah. so I, I think Sid could also dress up as Sting and fool everyone. Look, we're just we're just coming out with these great ideas. Uh, but, I, also, all for you know gender equality. I wouldn't mind, you know, miss sting 90 99.
0: <laughs> all three, all three of the women as various stings. Like you could present eras of sting. Oh. Oh, this is great. Yeah. Medusa's already
1: like bash 90 Sting anyway, with all the USA gear. And Randy said, be like,
0: oh yeah, these are my little stingers. <laughs> You could do like you could have one of the women as as like Crow Sting, but then you could do like the other two as the Blade Runners. <laughs> It'd be incredible! Oh, it writes itself. It writes itself. Um, next up we have a tag team match: Chris Benoit and Perry Saturn versus Dave Taylor and Fit Finley. The team I am dubbing the Good Friday Agreement.
1: Oh, I like that. I like that. I came up with a name with, for them also. Oh, excellent. Go for it. Okay. So my... Okay. You pay listeners. I'm sorry, by the way. <laughs> oh, I but love a good I, nickname that starts with a disclaimer. I called
0: them Fit and Chips. Oh, that's good. Oh, I was right there. Actually, if there had been a world in which Fit Finley and Chocolate Chip Mitten could have been a tag team. Holy shit.
1: Oh, I need to, I need to, I have some Chipminton stuff to talk to you about. if Because I got deep into Chipminton heel run last week, where he was like an, an evil heel that used a big splash as a finisher. And he was coming out being like, I'm Mr. World Class Chipminton. And it's like only on worldwide. Oh it's so good.
0: I, uh, I am now just thinking of, if I cared about the man one jot and I don't, I now would be... I now have the pitch to save Bobby Fish's career if Chip Minton is willing to dust off the boots, but I don't want to help him out. <laughs> I want to help him out, keep him with Fit Finley. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we got this tag team. Benoit has the has this like trope of his that uh, almost every tag match I've watched him in in this WCW run, it just starts off with him running wild, and you know I'm fine with that. Um, it properly rattles. Um, team dad um, they, it settles then into a regular rhythm of like this was just one of those where all four guys they saw who they were wrestling on the sheet and they were like this is going to be an enjoyable night at the office so like it's not a spectacular match by any stretch of the imagination but they're just kind of having fun you know freewheeling around the ring just like stretching and chopping and just doing like solid if unremarkable, tag work. And, and I kind of enjoyed it. What did you think of it? Uh, yeah, I thought this was a pretty
1: good match. This had the vibe of we're going to have the best match, dot, 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 on this house show. Yeah. And you could tell... I have a note here. This is great insight that you're hearing here on a Days of Thunder. Saturn and Benoit are good. Yes. And so... What I really like when two people are smooshed together, because I still don't quite get—I—I I kind of understand, but I kind of don't at this point—why Benoit and Malenko just don't tag together again. Um, I mean, granted, it gives us the the great team we see later yeah. tonight, um, the the new Vicious and Delicious, yeah. but. I, I do like them as a team and you can kind of see clearly that they know they're going to be teaming for a while because they're doing some double teams yeah. and they haven't figured out how to wear the same color gear yet. So I hope they work on that before the pay-per-view, but I thought the heat segment was a little too long, but otherwise, yeah, this was a solid match. If yeah. WCW released like Coliseum videos mm. uh, of just matches, this would be a, a fine match on a comp tape that you would enjoy.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I do think one thing I would with the the Malengo elements um is I would like to, if I like had 20% more work ethic, I would probably take a super cut of all those times that they came out and D Malenko was kind of standing on the stage, looking at them from a distance, like super cut all that together with careless whisper playing as like <laughs> they exchange longing glances at one another. I think that would be great. Um, I did chuckle looking back on it with 2023 uh, eyes that there was a moment in this match where Larry is going to his new favorite talking point, which is that the young guys don't deserve to be pushed further up in this company. And he, the example he uses to describe why young guys are never going to make it is to talk about a golf game at the weekend where this young kid that's not up to much lost and that kid's name, Tiger Woods. Like that is an incredible pick in hindsight. (laughs) Never going to make it, that guy. Never heard from him again.
1: L- Larry is very detrimental to this angle because he's, he has spent the whole NWO era being like like the number two babyface and defender of WCW. Like he was more successful against the NWO than even Sting. Mm-hmm. But when he talks about the young wrestlers, he goes to his, oh, you know, the young and the useless and you know, athletics is wasted of the young, and you know, I murdered Bruno back in the 80s, you know, Mike. And I have a hard time when I see in the ring and they're talking about young guys, Chris Benoit, who debuted in what 89 or 90 yeah. like, he's not an up and comer. No, he's um, been around for a bit, and so yeah, I also, I'm it upsets me that Dean isn't more involved in this. Jersey Triad versus Malink which is Benoit and Saturn feud. Yeah. Because they're at a 3-2 disadvantage. Benoit obviously has an established tag team partner who would even the numbers. Yeah. And he's he would rather hang out with Buff for some reason, yeah. which it's, I I
0: mean Marcus might be more fun to hang out with. Yeah. Yes, the nights out are are going to be of different qualities. That's that's for sure. Oh, I just um, came up with that team you gotta write that down <laughs> i i think this uh i think this ends in a disjointed way where saturn goes to dispose of finley um so oh, sorry taylor has an advantage but then saturn hoists him up and hits a dvd as saturn then goes to uh, dispose of finley benoit hits a headbutt and pins taylor um where neither had been legal um so it was a disjointed finish to a solid match um and then just as I thought, you know, I was starting to type up that this segment was over. Darren from HR shows up. Uh, there is there is no company this man won't show up in. Regal is back all of a sudden, unprompted. And again, one of those things that like we were talking about early on in the show, in terms of like timelines, did not remember this. Did not remember this one bit. Um, I don't know how long he's back for. <laughs> it's not very long. He's not. No, he's not back
1: for long at all. Um, it's like because it's, it's like
0: end of ninety nine, start of two thousand. He's already like back doing the, the William Regal bit in WWE.
1: Real man's man thing by October, I think.
0: Okay, so yeah, he's this is a like a Mikey Whipwreck level coffee stop. It,
1: also, yeah. Also, I mean, this is like that Lincoln. You'll. It's like he came in in a car with Public Enemy, who also has a return cup of coffee mm. in this period. Also.
0: It's an interesting one because like we always think of ECW as the company that people stopped in in between stops. I was like, there's a couple of occasions here where it's like, it's less that it's somebody stopping in between one company and the other. More that like with Mikey and with Regal in particular, it's like they are taking sojourns from the company they're in going to WCW and they go, oh, fuck this going right back. Um, (laughs) So, um. Yes, I did find it funny that uh, in the late nineties, uh, somebody that does not get credit for keeping the peace in Northern Ireland is Stephen Regal, um, and the history should reflect that. Um, Nature Boy and Asia are out next. He's complaining about the heat, which I think is really funny. Um, he he talks. It was weird because he like he almost kind of semi buries himself. He talks about how the people here are so stupid they don't recognize him if he's not wearing a suit, um. He announces uh, at Bash at the Beach, because they're going, they're f- going fucking tag team crazy in this company at the moment. It's Page and Bigelow versus Ben Juan Saturn. I mean, like, it's a good match on paper. I'm, I'm having it. Um, he, he does the thing that I absolutely, of all people in this company, I hate that Ric Flair does this. The picking fights with people in the crowd. Because, like, this is a guy who is, like, notoriously one of the great promos of all time. And it's such cheap heat and it doesn't even work.
1: I am actually going to disagree. Ooh. Because I consider Ric Flair looking at the crowd and picking out one person and going, Hey, fat boy, is pretty classic Ric Flair. As I've always, as far as engaging the light, and we can disagree on this for sure, yeah. but I've always found picking out that one person in the crowd and addressing them singularly yeah. is very engaging to the crowd because mm-hmm. they look at that person, they wonder if they could be next, yeah. and it lets the crowd know that you're paying attention to them and not yeah. just the TV camera. Yeah, I take so that. that yeah. The the thing with the the way Ric Flair's dressed. Is just, it's, it isn't Ric Flair. I think he has a really good point. I don't know during this whole period, and really like once you get past like 93 or so, once Hogan comes in, mm. that Ric Flair of like the $10,000 suit, diamond Rolex watches, fancy sunglasses, Learjet riding, it just kind of goes away. And polo, khaki pants, Ric Flair looking like my high school, Catholic high school math teacher is not Ric Flair. Yeah. And so you can kind of start to see it. And I think maybe he, that's a
0: real thing he's talking about, I feel like. You're seeing Richard Fleer talking for a second there, not Ric Flair. Yeah, he definitely does have that in his locker, the 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 kind of the the victimizing, like one person in the crowd stuff. I just think like maybe it's just that I think like from a, I suppose as somebody who's like a huge fan of of, of stand up and stuff like that, like I come from, like I have that mentality of just like it's the easy, it's it's the easy route. Whereas like there are so, but I, I guess like you're very right. Is that like since Hogan's been in the last year, like he just doesn't have it in him anymore. So like maybe wow. this is what he's got, you know.
1: Um, this whole night, like I know you guys mentioned in the last episode, they're putting over that he beat, Buck, that Buff beat him. so much and I'm glad they're doing it like two weeks later it would almost make you think because flair got the pin on him um I think on another uh, nitro Mm -hmm. would almost think that they were building to the third match at the pay-per-view but then I went to double check what the pay-per-view match is Mm -hmm. dear god it is definitely not rick flair versus buff in a singles match it is something much better
0: oh good better in a like a legit way or better in a wcwa well, i think like my
1: opinion is a legitimate and i think <laughs> i'm a valid person um so you know um <laughs> i was
0: gonna say <laughs> people matter and, uh, so <laughs> respect me <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's good in an Aaron way okay. and you can you can take that for what it's worth yes depending on people's understanding of your brand and your interest in wrestling that would be in a number of different things
1: anyone can go to um at miss erin quinn m-s-e-r-i-n-q-u-i-n-n on twitter.com um and follow for more of and to get a sense of
0: where i stand yes on wrestling Uh, the the flare promo segment ends weird with him screaming turn the power on Like it's proper granddad lost his slippers and can't see in the dark. (laughs) What was this about? What was happening here? He just took leave of his senses and started screaming, turn the power on. It's one of those, like, I can't believe I haven't seen that in more like weird promo comps on YouTube. The turn the power on did. I laughed and I laughed. Uh, (laughs) Our next match, Lenny Lane with Lodi versus Kurt Hennig with uh, Barry Windham, Big Bob Cum, and Kendall Windham. Um, and again, this is another point in this show where I wrote, are they just pulling names out of a bucket? <laughs> no, there's like, a reason this match is happening. Yes, yes. Would you this like is, to know? Go for it.
1: There's a legitimate... Oh, also, I have a joke from the last thing, real yes. quick. Um. At one point, Gene starts the promo by confusingly talking about the Louisiana Purchase being 40 cents an acre. And I said, huh, because that's pretty close to what Vince bought this company for per, (laughs) like, hour of TV footage. It
0: was like the Louisiana Purchase of professional wrestling, wasn't it? (laughs) Yes. It's harrowing. Lenny Lane and Kurt Henning is kind of the
1: Brawl of St. Paul, too. Because they are both Minnesota natives. This Ah. is... 80s generation Minnesota prodigy versus a wrestler from the 90s who also came from Minnesota.
0: I feel like you and Lee would be an incredible a tag team of lore discovery. Like, the did, way- did you know that Lenny Lane for a while
1: had like a wrestling party business? Like, you could hire him and
0: have like a, part, a wrestling theme party for yourself? I am both. Incredibly surprised and not surprised at all by this. I'll I'll see if I
1: can find you the website.
0: It's like the um you remember that um oh there's that 30 for 30 about the the mobster's son that ran a hockey team, and like there's a there's a scene in it where it's like, oh uh, for one of his birthday parties growing up, like we got a bunch of wrestlers to come to like oh it's a bunch of indie dudes, and it was like the rock. And China and a bunch of like actual established WWF stars at this mobster kid's birthday. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Anyway, um, it's it, I I wrote. It seems excessive to bring a small army of Hicks to wrestle Lenny. It, it seems like it might be. I think Kurt Hennig's got this, given their relative promotions on the card. It's um, it's the weird um thing you seldom see in wrestling that it's a slow squash match you know it it, go, it goes on for, for quite a while longer than they maybe needed to for the point to be established but they do it nonetheless in fairness to them um they where am I here yes um so Hennig this is something again in the all-timer of a heel Kurt Hennig maybe ha- is on the Mount Rushmore of smug faces in wrestling he he does smug like it's an art form. Um, this match ends, uh, unusually, with Lodi throwing in the towel. Um, the bell rings, Lodi gets in the ring and gets a Hennigplex for his trouble. And then the dorks do an encore dance, uh, if you didn't get enough of their concert earlier on. And they celebrate this absolutely huge victory. Um, today, today, in classic WCW fashion, after this like awkward squash match, Tanay then throws to a replay that doesn't happen and then has to go, oh, uh, yeah, I guess we're not doing that. Uh, We're going to go to a break. Um, Brilliant. First class broadcasting. God bless. Poor Mike Tanay.
1: Only the best. Um, I actually really enjoyed this. Oh. Because it was was fun. I think it's more like a sigh of relief as someone who likes Kurt Henning Mm. after what was just kind of a disastrous 98 where he's just... I don't remember him doing anything good, even when he was in there with Bret Hart. It was he sad. Least, he was, was having fun. Fun. Like, in this, he's having fun. Yeah. He isn't as crisp as he used to be, but at least as a, and he's not bumping like he used to, but why bump like you used to for Lanny Lane? Yeah. But he's hitting him around, throwing him around. At least he looks like he's enjoying himself. Yeah. So.
0: There is that.
1: Told. And then, yeah, you mentioned Lodi throws in the towel. Um, they're really pushing that angle a lot on multiple shows so hopefully nothing happens that would cause
0: them to cancel that angle I'm sure they'll see it through to its natural conclusion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes um, next up we got a uh, team madness are here uh, match tells Nash that no known member of team madness was the driver uh, it is like it just anytime I- I'm getting as time goes on here I am getting immensely triggered by the word homer like I am every time it comes up, I'm like, I don't fucking care. I don't care. And the other thing is it's one of these it, actually an interesting parallel is to the current like main event pay-per-view push in AEW where it's like they keep doing these segments and the crowd are telling you they don't give a shit and you're just doing them anyway. And it's like the crowd like maybe for the first week are like, ooh, the Hummer but they're already over it now. Like they're tuning out as soon as Homer mystery starts. And I'm, I'm seeing more and more promos where people are having to win the crowd back over after Homer talk, uh, which is quite interesting, but he does the, it might be hall. It might be sting. It might be both of them. Every single one of them, by the way, dressed as sting in my head cannon now. Um, He hands sting the sizzling microphone, or sorry, he hands the sizzling microphone to the best big man in wrestling, Sid Vicious, who, when he says best big man in wrestling, it immediately drew my eye to realizing Sid Vicious is not that much bigger than Randy Savage. Um, He says, Tonight, the pain Buff and Malenko will feel forever. People will absorb into their minds what happens if you mess with them. Simply put, they are the masters. And match says there's no way out for Big Sexy. One thing I liked about this promo is there was a second where when... Sid got the microphone. Very contrite and polite. Sid came out and basically like, oh, thank you very much. As he got the microphone. And I was like, oh, is this going to be like a low-key talking Sid promo? And then he immediately starts screaming as loud as he can. <laughs> so um one, I I actually
1: really like conceptually, yeah. these two being paired together is just a really cool idea. Yeah. Like character-wise. Also. Of course, I think they've always wanted to team together because the 1991 Survivor Series was originally going to feature um, Randy Savage team against Jake Roberts team, hmm. but then some stuff happened. Wait, I got that wrong. Okay, but they were definitely connected because Sid was going to be on a team with Bossman against Jake Roberts and his team, but then something else happened and Randy Savage stepped in. So they've been kind of helping each other. They helped each other around that time frame,
0: and you know they've wanted to come together since then. And something about the, that I think only Tony accidentally stumbled onto on Nitro about the, it's the madness and the psycho. He mentions it offhandedly, and I was like, "How how would you not take that and run with it? Like it it hasn't been me- it wasn't mentioned before or since that offhanded half tuned out Tony comment, but you know whatever. Maybe there's maybe just copyright stuff, and they've been subject to enough lawsuits at this point already in nineteen ninety nine. Um, I am.
1: a lot of shame for jumbling up Survivor
0: Series lore in my head, but Survivor Series ninety one is a a mess of substitution, so. Hmm. Um, our singles match that was teased earlier on is up next. Evan Courageous versus David Flair with Aaron Anderson, Asia and Rick Flair. David is stripped to the waist, black pants and walking out to his dad's music, trying not to cry. There has never like. The thing is. I go back and forth so much on how intentionally pathetic they're trying to make him look because the more I think they're trying to intentionally make him look like a fucking idiot, the more I'm like, this is brilliant. But then every so often I'm like, I think they're actually trying to get him over as a heel. Uh, And like trying to make him look like he's not the biggest idiot in the world. And and then I'm like, oh, this is bad. Um, but this was one where I'm just like, no, this, this week I was on board with, like, he's kind of slightly greased up as well. <laughs> In his black pants. It's like, it's one of the worst looks a professional wrestler has ever had, if you could call him that at this stage. There is, because I
1: I, I don't think anything happening here is because David is doing something intentionally. I do think, that everyone around him has realized yes. that there is no charisma here but if we just make the the storyline in theory has the like makings of a parody of every booker that's pushed their kid even if their kid wasn't good yeah and so like if they did that and were a little more like smart about it it could be really fun yeah. Um, I wouldn't have done this with the u s. title. I think yeah. that's too much of a. You could do this with like the TV title. Mm. Um, but nothing is happening here because David knows what's happening. Yeah. is things happen around around David. Also for th- just the thing the little mention of Sid when he gets past the mic made me think, three today. <laughs> and I want James Gunn to write lines for Sid to play <laughs> off other characters because he would be like a more intense Drax at some point. And I think it would be wonderful.
0: That is a, a peek into a parallel universe that I'm equally horrified and fascinated by. Uh, I I think, yeah, the, the, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there about David, though, that like everybody else around him knows what's up. And if the storyline was everyone around him knows what's up, but he doesn't like, I liked there was a week where they did a thing where it didn't seem like David was in on the fact these guys were throwing the match. And I, that angle was kind of interesting, but now like he's literally, and maybe, maybe the, uh, like the, the subtle piece of storytelling is that even though he's in the room when these matches are being fixed now, he's still too stupid to know that that's what's happening. I'd appreciate that. The other thing I love about this angle this week that had me roaring laughing was I was thinking about this match and the in-kayfabe reason for stuff. I was like, why is, in storyline, why is Ric Flair allowing these matches to happen in a way where 75% of it is these guys just beating the dog shit out of David Flair. Like, surely you could, if you were fixing these matches, you could do finger poke a doom. Like, every time you just go, like, just just get in, bell rings, take a dive, one, two, three, if everyone's in on it. But this is like, he's letting his son get beaten half to death. (laughs) And then the guy just takes a bump.
1: Well, to be fair to Flair, David did like, didn't he turn on him this year?
0: Uh oh, I can't remember if it's if it creeps into two thousand before the turn. It's no, yeah, it's... When, he, when he met with Tori. Yeah. David with
1: Tory oh he oh of-
0: sorry yes he has already turned on him once but I thought yeah I thought you were talking <laughs> so about the future I, time
1: I that Flair is like I'm gonna let him get beat up for a while.
0: Yeah yeah. Yeah, and he would be vindicated because, as I just mentioned, like he would turn on him again eventually. As and now thinking, he has like, reason to. Yeah, he's already like he's already turned on him again by the reset nitro. Um, it, yeah, I,
1: I love that it's not we have to figure out when David turn. We have to figure out which David turn. David turn the, the big show of world championship wrestling. Um, um are you, are you going to turn on me as a as a as a
0: David? Oh yes that that's it's in our dna so at some at some point i will have the stun gun and you okay. you you're, you're just going to have to take the pill the move,
1: the move or the weapon
0: <laughs> i i don't know which david could deliver more awkwardly because this we'll talk about it in a second but the stun gun spot in this match was the most like i don't think this guy knew what a stun gun was he was just like i have to hold this and gesture it in the general direction of this man I, I don't think
1: WCW knew what a stun gun is. Oh. I am grateful that um, when Don't Tase Me Bro was a meme, WCW was not in business mm. because that would, Goldberg would have had another loss, I'm sure. Yeah. So um, this was just, I don't know if Evan Courageous is a heel, but um, yeah, this, this was a bad match.
0: Yeah, it, it was nothing. And like, I can't put it down. Like Courageous is obviously green at this point, but look what he was working with here. Um, as I, I wrote this is where I had a bit of the in storyline. Why does Rick let these guys beat the dog fuck out of David? Although, wouldn't we all? Um, Aaron makes the signal, which is like the cutthroat signal for uh, courageous to to drop. Uh, he doesn't do it; he's ignoring it. Flair gets up on the apron; he's incensed. Flair gets up to distract the ref. Asia distracts courageous. David gets the stun gun, does the most awkward stun gun spot of all time, and then wins with a figure four pass out. Um yeah, the less said about this the better. I think we'll just we'll just move on and purge it from our brains. Um speaking of purge it from our brains, uh we've got Hugh Morris with Jimmy Hart versus Van Hammer. And after that last match, when this started, I just wrote, Fuck me. Uh, I got controversial
1: opinions coming up, but go ahead.
0: I feel like do you know what I had I had two parallel thoughts when this when I knew this was coming up next because Again, I mentioned it before, my note taking process is like I just go to the match card page on um, cage match and I copy the match up so that it's kind of like separated in my notes. And then I type in in between each match. And uh, as soon as I copied and pasted that in, I had the the parallel thoughts of fuck me. And Aaron's going to love this match.
1: I love this match.
0: <laughs> OK, do you want to uh, do you want to take the captain's chair and walk us through this Matt classic?
1: Um, I am, I, I'm not good at taking move for move notations because there weren't I that money watch- in this match. So you're fine. Well, there were A lot of moves and they were cool, <laughs> but I wanted to, I wanted to watch this just sitting on my couch. So I use my little uh, erasable notebook. Mm-hmm. So feel free to take us through the match. And then I have some very hot takes.
0: Okay. I have a feeling the tone of my notes and your notes will be entirely different, but let's go for it. Um, we get a uh, we get a line during the entrances here where Jerry Flynn has joined the first family this week, uh, and it just reminded me of the Norm Macdonald "All the Stars Are Here" meme. <laughs> it's like, oh, I guess who's in the first family now? It's Jerry Flynn, Lightning Foot. Um, Morris starts off by battering Van Hammer uh with a trash can lid. Slamming him through the trash can, which I I always appreciate the slamming into the trash can and it crumbles up like (laughs) tinfoil. This is is the point at which my frustration with these two started to show. So up top, he stumbles off the top rope like an asshole and walks into a lid shot to the face. Uh, Then we get a leg drop on the lid on his head. Hammer then puts on his jacket and does a move that I'm dubbing the rhinestone lariat. Where he's got like his he cuz he's a cool heavy metaler again so he's got a leather jacket he's been wearing out with rhinestones on it um and it was very funny because until there was a close up shot tnay and larry were perplexed by what what item could be on this jacket it, larry was more than halfway through alleging that it was chainmail um <laughs> before the rhinestones became apparent in the close up shot hammer goes for a, a ladder And I did laugh at him nonchalantly throwing the ladder in over the ring. Didn't care where it bounced to Uh, whip reversal into a ladder. And I just said, I am trying so hard to focus and literally cannot. Uh, Jimmy and a table are now both in the ring. Uh, Morris signals for the no laughing matter moonsault. He puts hammer on the table. Flair comes out again. I think he's just been, I think he might have gotten heat stroke and he's just wandering around the building shouting at people, you know, turn the lights on. And then he comes out, whoa, Jimmy Hart. Whoa, 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 Jimmy Hart. Uh, and he's just decided arbitrarily in the middle of the match, in the middle of a show, I am banning hardcore wrestling. And Hugh Morris, of all people, to stand up to Rick Flair, just as get the hell out of my match. And he goes, okay, you want hardcore, you got it. So Hammer runs them over with a table like a Mack truck and then front suplexes Morris through a table. It's really funny because he's like, you want hardcore, you've got it. But then he's also still screaming, I'm banning hardcore. As this segment ends, there's no pin. That's just the end of the match. He goes through the table. That's the end of the match. And Flair then gets escorted out of the building. And I'm just like, oh, he's getting escorted out of the building. Wait, he runs this place. Like the like Doug Dillinger works for him. What's he doing? Um, but you uh, you saw a different match, Aaron. I'm I'm taking it.
1: I saw a, a great match. <laughs> so, um, one I am so pumped for, um, the first family. Mm-hmm. They're so great, especially this version of the first family. Um, I while I'm talking about this match, uh, Dave, I'm gonna send you. Uh, Just a couple of pictures of the first family throughout the years. Okay. So you can just kind of get an idea how our current incarnation, who are going to be around way more than you're comfortable with for the rest of 1999. I mean, I'm already pretty uncomfortable with this. (laughs) Don't worry. So the this version of the first family, the first version, there's so many members. This is just a, a handful of them. Mm-hmm. And there, there's some notable names there. And then the version that we are witnessing form now. It's really cool when to bear witness to these classic stables forming. It's really yeah. exciting to see the genesis of them. So Mike Tanay, who is called the professor because he knows a lot about wrestling. Mm-hmm. but He lost a lot of wrestling nerd cred with me in this because he was talking about how Van Hammer has no experience in these type of hardcore matches. And I said, "Tene you fool. Don't you remember when he feuded with Cactus Jack in 1992 and even beat Cactus Jack in a false Count Anywhere match? So clearly, Hammer has a very hardcore pedigree.
0: Also, this is like, there's a good opportunity to work the gimmick in and go, this is heavy metal Van Hammer. That guy's been in mosh pits for 10 years. He can handle himself.
1: I, 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 the, the, the confusing gimmick adjustments of Van Hammer in 1999 um, from peace to suddenly no peace to yeah. I have a jacket is yeah. a pretty cool. So I like the jacket spot because yeah. sometimes in these Ws, and I got a reason, okay? It's not just a, a gimmick I'm doing it. <laughs> it's not a bit. Sometimes WCW hardcore matches, you see the same three weapons. You see the kendo stick, the table, and you see the trash can. Yeah. Which you see in this match. But I like that the idea Hammer recognized, oh, my jacket has all these metal studs on it. So I'll use it as a weapon. And I thought, okay, at least like that was more thinking about what to do than just hitting with kendo sticks. Yeah. And I'm just looking for anything at this point. Yeah. Um. So I have written down here, the jacket spot is cool. It was less cool when he put the jacket over the turnbuckle and the more he slammed Hugh Morris's head into it, the more the jacket fell off to the ground, but the thought was there. Um, Hugh Morris, obviously from his like IWA work has hardcore pedigree. So I understand why they always put them in these matches. Um, I'm just a fan of big clunky guys having big clunky matches. It's like my version of big meaty men slapping meat. Mm-hmm. I just want to see two bad
0: wrestlers try to have a good match. And I feel yeah. like they were trying to have a good match. Um there was somebody to- that once said that, like, the Irish professional wrestling is putting two immobile stiffs against each other and convincing a crowd that it's great. And I guess that's that's the kind of, like, the, the core professional wrestling value that you're getting entertainment no, don't from here. I need it to look perfect all the time. I, <laughs> I, I like the front suplex
1: into the table because it's not normally how people do that table bump Mm. it was at least a little different plus hammer's old finish was a slingshot suplex so at least he did some type of suplex yeah um i also though have on my notes here what the fuck is rick doing um if there were no hardcore matches his feud with terry funk would have never ended oh god um I, I guess he just decided, oh, I don't like hardcore. I don't know why any of that happened. And yeah. so
0: it, it's going to lead to the junkyard battle royal somehow though. Do you think it's do you think maybe in canon what happened is he really wanted someone to turn the lights on, but somebody who was preparing for a hardcore match that we never saw had taken all the light tubes out? And that's his in Canada. He's like, I'm banning hardcore now because I can't see where I left my slippers and someone's taking all the light tubes.
1: If it was leading to Ric Flair taking a light tube bump in 1999, then I think that would be really solid. But I remember him saying something to the effect we're not having hardcore matches in these arenas anymore, which I think is supposed to be the reason why they fight in a junkyard. Mm. Um, So the hardcore division in this company is really weird and they're still like, Six six plus months away from having a belt. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I, I love this match two stars.
0: <laughs> that is, that's that sums it up. I love this match two stars. That was very much like your version of my uh my holy grail, the the giant Mang no bumps match. Uh, oh, that so, match
1: is so good. It's the oh, best. Let's go. Yeah, yes. that match is
0: so good. And any oh, I have some issues. Like Ming is good.
1: I don't know who's saying Ming is bad, but I, I'm sorry. There are I, I know bad wrestlers. Baron Corbin
0: is bad. Hey, besmirching the big breakfast on this program. No, a big breakfast is what I get when I go to Denny's. Yes, Baron Corbin is very bad. Um. Uh, so we'll move on to the the main event here, and it's Buff Bagwell and Dean Malenko, the the self styled uh new vicious and delicious, as you were saying earlier on, versus Randy Savage and Sid Vicious with Team Madness. Um, Savage talking shit on the way to the ring, screaming, "Are you ready?" Trying to get people hyped up after being like killed to bits by the last hour of TV, um. Malenko, as I had written down as well. Malenko and Buff is a very funny pairing. What do you imagine they talk about while they're waiting in in position to come out? Um. So,
1: uh, one the new, just to clarify, the new vicious and delicious, yeah, is Savage and Sid.
0: Oh, of course, of course.
1: Yeah, I thought that was obvious. Yes, you Yes, know? of course. He's and the ladies find him delicious. He has yes. the um malenko and malenko i was gonna say see i was gonna say benoit because his natural partner is not rookie of the year marcus alexander bagwell but i did name them the sprayberry high stretchers (laughs) i like that yeah so what do they talk about i don't know florida
0: is it one of those like where are they gonna have like you're gonna find out they have like a weird hobby in common like the two of them really love going fishing
1: like Braun breaker goes fishing probably Yeah, um, yeah i i i love if they would do i don't know why i want to talk about nxt but i wish they would do like one of those segments like kyle o'reilly and von wagner where they just go out into the woods to go hunting and bagwell can be like hey dean you like to drink beer and he'd be like "Oh, marcus i do like to drink beer yeah this is a real good beer i like being outside with you something like that yeah. Like but,
0: uh, Dean is trying to like very seriously make sure that the tent is secured in case there's adverse weather conditions. And then like the camera pans across and buff is just like in his full wrestling gear with the top hat oiling himself instead of helping out. That's, that's the kind of stuff you want.
1: Yeah. The sad thing is the only way to make this team entertaining is to do things that automatically make them not mean eventers.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's comedy goofs or nothing uh, really to make this a, a good bit. Um, the match starts with Buff showboating and annoying the veterans. He tags in Dino. He'll get the heat. Baseball slide under Sid, and Buff is in. I did like that bit. Um, where, where Sid is like the clumsy giant that can't catch him as he's sliding underneath him. I always like that. Um, a little bit of double team, but then Macho hits Buff in the back and Sid hits a choke slam. I, I genuinely thought I was like, oh my god, is it over already? Um, it's kind of it's the classic Thunder main event where it's like we're Not really going to do much here. Um, We're going to do a lot of smoke and mirrors and then just go straight to the finish. Medusa holds back buff while George distracts Dino. That doesn't work as match then nails Medusa by accident. Uh, Dean then hits a a lovely looking missile drop kick on uh, Savage, uh, running drop kick on Sid before match cuts him off again. Uh, Cross body by Dean that gets broken up. Match breaks down as Miss Madness does a sunset flip And then Dean decides to uh, counter this by putting Miss Madness in the text Slow Relief. Uh, This exposes him to the heels who then jump him. Uh, He gets powerbombed by Sid. Uh, Match then signals for the elbow. uh, And then we get uh, referee slaughter as uh, Nick tries to stop him and gets knocked on his ass. Then I think in excessive overkill gets picked up and crotched on the rope by Sid. Uh, Mickey J out and is immediately floored, and then he gets a pile driver for his trouble. He's just a second referee coming out to keep the peace. Uh, Mach gets on the mic, says, "We'll see you at Bash at the Beach, Nash." Um, Sid hits a power bomb on him. Um, there's two points from the end of this that I want to bring up. That's great. It's like we know that they were power bombing Mickey J as a symbol, but just in case you didn't know, Macho was yelling down the microphone, "This is a symbol." <laughs> just so you know that this was supposed to represent Nash. And then just because he couldn't resist it on the way out, Larry had to get an elbow in on Mickey J where as the Powerbomb happens, he just goes, Mickey J's in horrible shape. He can't take that. It's like, oh, poor Mickey J. It,
1: it was mean. It
0: yeah. was <laughs> Larry's cancelled. Yes. Larry, sadly, Larry's Zabisco is cancelled. Finally. <laughs> I do you know once a week I think about that. Well, Sabu is cancelled. Tweet. It's one of the all-time great tweets on that website. It's one of the ones I'll miss when when Elron sends that 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 site into the abyss. Um, what did you think of the main event, Aaron?
1: Um, I, I mean, it's a thunder main event, so I didn't expect there to be a finish or much time. Mm-hmm. I really. I really got into the idea of Randy Savage versus Dean Malenko, but like 1988, Randy Savage versus Dean Malenko, because for a brief shining moment, I thought, Oh, what could have been? That looks kind of interesting. I thought they kept Sid pretty protected whilst showing that it took two of them, but they still couldn't knock him off his feet. I think, but it still kept Dean and Buff kind of strong um, I did like, so when, so Miss Madness does this sunset flip on Dean. Mm-hmm.
0: One, what was her point? Is she going to pin him? I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, um, look, I,
0: all bets are off at this time in the company. She might've pinned him and then somehow inexplicably won the U S title. Uh. It is, it is very, it is a very big, what did her and Dean work on in training this
1: week moment yeah. Dean then rolled through the Texas cloverleaf and it made me realize, oh, this is where he started to enjoy p- to put women in Texas clover leaves. Watch out, Lita. He's coming for you now. He's in training.
0: Yeah, yeah I like that idea of like, what did Miss Madlessard earn in training that week where it's like she doesn't she isn't quite getting things at this point. And she's just like, Dean, can we like do a sunset flip in the match tonight? And like he takes a deep inhale to explain why that makes no sense. And he goes, you know what? Okay.
1: Well, she's so Bye. nice.
0: Yeah. What are you gonna say no. Yeah, okay, Nora. We could do that. <laughs> oh, oh, you know if
1: okay, so just hear me out here. You know, if she was on the indies right now, mm-hmm. you know, just coming up in the indies right now, you know a hundred percent she would be rolling in to Black Label Pro to take on like Billy Starks
0: and her gimmick would be Nora the Explorer. God, it would. Because she also, like, because she's so nice as well, there's not a chance that she's saying no to any creative. Yeah, so no. Someone's one's going to come up with something like that. And she'd be like, okay.
1: She would be doing a gimmick that would infuriate certain people on this podcast
0: network. Yes. <laughs> Looking at the crowd yes. going like, hey, do you know where the ring is? Oh, my God. Yeah. Let's go. I can actually, like, if I take off one headphone cup, I can hear Joe Lanza's blood boiling. I'm in
1: Texas, and I yeah. can hear.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can hear the steam
1: coming out of his ears when you're that close. Or in my kettle on the stove is now at a boiling point. Uh,
0: seeing as you're in the Lee Malone seat here, Aaron, I'm going to wrap this show up by asking you for your overall thoughts on Thunder sixty-eight, plus your winners and losers.
1: Um, this was a fine show. Um, I found it to be pretty inoffensive. You kind of have to like adjust your expectations that you're not getting 97 nitro you're not even getting 98 thunder from this Mm -hmm. none of the feuds are interesting Uh, the show is helped out a lot by roddy piper not being on it because he's my least favorite part of this time in the company uh winners in this big time winners jimmy hart is a big winner because he's managing to get himself a lot of tv time for someone not involved in anything important. Um, I still think um, Buff, I still think Buff is still a winner. I don't feel like they've messed up his push either.
0: Yeah, he's like, he's not, he didn't win the episode, but he's kind of winning by virtue of the fact that he hasn't been actively harmed by this two hours of television.
1: He hasn't been buried. Yeah.
0: Yet. Yes. And
1: so um, I'm going to also put, I don't know how many winners or losers I get. Yeah, as many as you want. Okay, great. So the following people are winners. Hugh Morris, The Barbarian, Lightning Foot Jerry Flynn, <laughs> Brian uh, and Jimmy Hart, because the first family is fucking rocks. <laughs> um, also winner, Eddie Guerrero, because at yeah. least back and he's over. And for those saying, well, he should be getting pushed right now coming back from an injury, I would say bagwell is getting pushed just now so pushing someone coming back from injury obviously is something this company cannot do so maybe you'll get pushed in a year Mm. in a completely different company
0: yeah yeah (laughs) it'll Uh, happen just not where or when you would like uh
1: losers on this show Mm. flair
0: yeah
1: it is despite any jokes i might say or bits i might do he does not have his fastball right now and is being dragged down by this David Flair angle and the confusing need for WCW to have like a hierarchy power storyline. And also knowing in the back of my head that the natural match for him at the pay-per-view is not something he's doing. And I can't remember the next time he has a major match or a major program in this company until Vince Russo is here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. God, yeah, it's it, like it is, it has been, and something we've documented on the show with Flair. Like, it is kind of sad to watch him kind of shamble around as a shadow of himself sometimes. And I think it's made especially like harrowing by the like every so often, like once every couple of months, you see a flash of, of the Flair that used to be, whether it's in a segment or like, you know, a brief moment in a match. But I think particularly since the the infamous double turn we've been talking about for months, um, I've just been I've been so down on everything he's been involved in. I'm just kind of, I'm just over it now because I also know he's over it. Um, so it's it's tough to get invested when you know a guy is just cashing a check. But anyway, uh, our. Finish Counter, brought to you by Ludwig Borger, gives us six matches with two clean finishes, one DQ or count out, one interference leading to a finish, and two other, in brackets, non-finishes. Um, Before I sign off, Aaron, would you like to uh, plug to the Thunder Buddies uh, where they can check you out on the interwebs? All right. For those who
1: dare to go out there into the internet and find me out, like I mentioned earlier, you can find me on the technological hellscape That is twitter.com. You can follow me at Miss, that's M-S-E-R-I-N-Q-U-I-N-N, Miss Erin Quinn. Give me a follow there for wrestling takes and pictures of cats and uh, other things a 42-year-old woman who doesn't leave her apartment might uh, talk about. If you want to hear me talk about more graps. I just recorded nearly five hours of audio with Alan4L. It was me and Alan's first time ever having a conversation. And we talked about some 90s TV. We talked about my backyard wrestling and we went a very long time. And that's on the Torch website. You can also always keep checking the Voices of Wrestling Discord. I'm over there and I do make periodic appearances on that podcast network, such as Right Now. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank. Day for extending the invite to be on here. I have always appreciated this podcast as a bona fide WCW head. It is just magic to know that someone is tackling the journey that is Thunder. And sincerely, um, I take a lot of bus trips around San Antonio because I don't own a car. So podcasts are crucial to me being able to close whatever going, close out the outside world and enjoy hour-long rides. And Days of Thunder is truly one of the more valuable podcasts in my arsenal. So thank you both. And a shout out
0: to Lee. Thanks to both of you for, for the hard work you've done these years. Thank you so much, Aaron. And it was a privilege to have you on. Um, you have been like a strong and vocal supporter of the podcast since like way in the early days. It's, it's I was trying to think back. I was like, when is the first time I remember seeing Aaron's name in the mentions? And it's like very early doors. It was before we were in our current home, a long time before that. Um, I don't know if it was when we were still out on our own or wherever, but it was yeah, very early doors. And we like, we really do. Uh, we always try to say it anyway. We don't say it enough that like we appreciate everybody who stuck with us, whether you're whether you're new or whether you've been here with us the whole way along in the journey. Like the fact that anyone's willing to listen to this is still a source of constant amazement to me. So thank you so much for the support and for filling in and an excellent substitute appearance for Liam Malone on this show. I'm sure it won't be. The last time, and in fact, if people want to hear a bit more of me and Aaron chatting, maybe next week over at a large man you may get your wish. Sign up there for only five Europeans uh, at the uh, at the tier that will get you all the exclusive audio.
1: Which Europeans do I have to send you? So I will be giving you Dave Taylor, Fit Finley, Steve Regal, his son, because they can't be separated. Nope, can't wrestling observer hall of famer. Oh wait, he's not Big Daddy.
0: Yes. I mean, look, you're you're getting essentially at least three Europeans in Big Daddy in terms of mass. So that's that's pretty, that's pretty a pretty solid deal. Anyway, you th- thank you all for listening to uh, this episode of Days of Thunder. Uh, we should talk to you again on the free feed in two weeks and see you next week at com for more bonus audio. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder was produced by Lee Malone and edited by me, Dave Ryan. Keep up to date with the show and find all the ways to listen to us. You can follow us on Twitter at WCW Thunderpod or click the Link Tree link in our Twitter bio or in the show notes. I am at the Day to Dave on Twitter, and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Days of Thunder is a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Follow the VOW network anywhere. Good podcasts are sold for more fine podcasts and you can shake a stick at. Thanks. We're on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapCXP. And join us
1: for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there.